a lot of these vehicles that are equipped with lane centering and adaptive cruise control that can be on simultaneously. They're also equipped with automatic emergency braking, blind spot warning, you know, forward click, all these things, right? And so when you actually look at the data of uh, how much improved safety or reduction in, in uh, crashes and, and injury fatalities, uh, most of that's contributed to the safety features that are already equipped on the vehicle. And you don't get much of a difference for these additional, um, what we call convenience features. Hello, and welcome to the Tonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer, the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor over at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, formerly the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I never represented on this show, but I bring a lot of wisdom from that experience. And the founder and CEO of Geotegic Consulting, my new consulting business around mobility, transportation, and driver assistance. Um, and we're here with someone we all like and respect very much, um, the indomitable and wonderful. Are you a professor or a doctor, Kelly? Uh, neither. You, I, neither? I, I quit, yeah, after that. Did partial PhD and then I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Kelly Funkhauser, <laughs> uh, el patron and the boss of, of wisdom at Consumer Reports regarding all things driver assistance and more, here to talk today about the new Consumer Reports evaluation roundup of driver assistance systems. And boy, you have a lot to say, and so do I. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Wait, hang on, hang on. So we're talking about about CR's uh, driver assistance rating system. We're not here for karaoke. Am I? <laughs> did I get right. that? Don't worry. Wrong we can, we can do that again sometime. Yeah. Next time we're in person, all in the same room, definitely karaoke. <laughs> no, but seriously. So, so uh, Kelly, I mean, you know, you and, and Consumer Reports have really been um, taking the the lead. I would say, just in terms of of, it's been a bit of a wild west around these. What you're now calling active driver uh actor driver assistance is that right uh, so, driving so, assistance yeah so you have a whole new word for starters like that's where i would i would want to start okay that's a great place to start uh let's talk about what what it is we're talking about um active driving assistance is the brand agnostic generic term for what some may know as level two sa level two um or how i like to say it the combination of lane centering assistance and adaptive cruise control that are on at the same time. So that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, the reason we have this term active driving assistance is because pretty much all the brands out there have their own special marketing buzzword type of name for it. Um, and so in order to you know talk about it generally, that is the term uh, that, that we have established in the clearing the confusion initiative group. So it's kind of become the the industry-esque term for brand agnostic level two ACC and LCA. So I have a question though, because we were in an era that kicked off, I want to say a couple of years ago when all of a sudden pluses were being added to level two and then sometimes plus plus. Mm. And so how do you handle that with this new sort of agnostic term? Meaning specifically, when new functions are added, how do you, do you still use the same term or is there now a different term? So that is why I avoid the term level two, because I, I'm going to just self-proclaim myself as pretty much kind of an expert in this area. And I still have no idea exactly what that means precisely. And so I just use adaptive cruise control and lane centering that are active at the same time, which means that we're not talking about any other features like automatic lane change or route-based speed assistance or any of these other things that might be in full self-driving beta or these other packages. We are literally talking about two things, centering and speed control. And then do you though, once you had those other functionalities and features have other terminology because, and the reason why I ask is because automakers are trying to push towards um, more functionality. So automatic lane changes being one. Um, and then the other piece is when you have an active driver assistance system, some are hands-free and some are not. Do you have a extra designation for that? 
We do not. And that is uh, one more bullet point in the list of things that we are not talking about. But really, probably the most important thing for this conversation that we're not talking about is hands-free driving. So we are talking about the system's ability to keep the center of the lane as well as the, you know, moderate the speed control. CR doesn't endorse hands-free driving. Um, You know, we don't necessarily think that it's super safe to be holding a messy burger in one hand and a really hot coffee in the other hand while watching a system that you could and probably will need to take immediately immediate control of with no notice. So so essentially our stance is uh, you don't get points in this evaluation or lose any points for hands-free driving per se, because again, not talking about it, but essentially, you know, the, the pathway forward uh, for CR's stance is if you're going to have hands-free driving, you need to also have some mechanism in place to ensure that the driver's hands remain ready to take control if you're a level two system, which means that you are essentially needing to remain alert and take over with no notice. Let me also shout out that uh, I really one of the things I liked about the report, separate from the results, forget that, just from the definitions here, I I believe that this is the first time I've seen in a major media um, roundup that's uh, a distinction between collaborative steering and non-collaborative steering. Now, I'm not going to suggest that I was the first person to talk about this way back on October 26th of 2016 when I reviewed ADAS systems back then. But what I am going to say is that I am very proud of you for making this distinction so clear and, and putting it like the language like in a very clear manner in such a way that OEMs may actually pay attention now. Because this is the big, one of the biggest problems is the distinction between um, hands-free, not – which there seems to be some kind of like intellectual dishonesty around how companies talk about this. And then the collaborative driving versus not, which, and I remember the first time I drove a system that was both collaborative and effective was George Hotz's comma system many years ago. And now we see that this uh, collaboration has crept up into actual like OEM product. So very well done. And if one more Tesla stand shows up in my feed and tries to fight me over the benefits of having a hand-on system, with these various convenience features, well, you know, I'm not going to change a thing that I do. Kelly, please tell us about the report results. Yes. Well, I go way back in this too, you know, if we're, if we're talking about bragging about ourselves That's how here. we became friends. Uh, <laughs> I respect you. Yeah. So back in uh, our 2018 evaluation of these, so we've done this every two years, that was one of the, the components as well. And so essentially we haven't changed a whole lot about our, our metrics and methodologies over time, but yeah, collaboration, I think, is absolutely key to the success of all of these systems in terms of not becoming over-reliant, not becoming a headline of, hey, I was doing something else and, and therefore misusing the system, even though it was clearly a, a very extremely foreseeable misuse. Uh, if you're not allowing the driver to collaborate, then you're kind of implying the system's got it. Um so yeah, the, the collaborative driving is key in terms of the driver understanding their roles and responsibilities and feeling as if they're okay to collaborate instead of, uh, well, either you got it or I got it. And oh, it's a pain to have to turn this thing back on every time I try to, you know, steer or avoid a pothole. It just becomes almost a punishment in a way, right? And so yeah, it's, it's key. So thanks for pointing that out. I also believe that that is kind of one of the big points. <laughs> Well done, Kelly. Have you have you um, tested Comma AI system? I know it's not like a major OEM, but I'm just curious if you've tested the most recent version. Uh, yes, with an asterisk. Um, so, in the 2020 report, um, in the non-consumer, you know, easy to read version. Uh, so we do a technical report, right? That is is written with the industry, the OEMs as the audience. Um, in that version, we included the comma AI. And two years ago, it took the top spot. I mean, it's got all the components, right? It performs well. It had adequate and effective driver monitoring to make sure the driver's not, you know, asleep uh, at a minimum. Did we? Did it have? Did it have the infrared? Um lamps at that time um, you know the i'm DMS? trying to recall if it had infrared i f- feel like it 
Ooh, I don't want to commit to that. Um, it was the, that one was the comma two. Yeah, so, I think that was around 2020 ish. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, it took the top spot. And the reason that we included that at all, because CR doesn't usually test nor promote and endorse modifying your vehicle, especially <laughs> tapping into the safety <laughs> systems, splicing into them, um, third after aftermarket products. Uh, the reason we did it was kind of to. Uh, you know, make a big splash and and get our message out there of, hey, this thing costs, you know, ish around $1,000 and was developed by, you know, some people that are using some open source software. So what's your excuse, OEMs? Uh, If it can be done for, you know, X price and it includes driver monitoring and all of these things, what's your excuse, right? And so we kind of used it as a tool now, bringing us up to this round, we did purchase the Comma 3. We had some technical difficulties for a minute trying to get it installed into one of our cars. After those got f- worked out, um, we had additional technical difficulties that questioned the, You're being very uh, diplomatic. Safety, the safety of us continuing to keep it plugged in. I was I was out of state or off-site somewhere, I think, and... Uh, one of my research assistants plugged it in and sent me a very concerning text about smoke coming out of it. Um, <laughs> and so I told him to abandon and abort immediately. And so amongst several uh, technical issues and reasons, we decided to not include it this time. Most importantly being we had kind of already made our point and used it as our tool. Um, it was at the top. You know, it probably would be nearish the top. Um, but yes, it was not included this time. Mm. This- <laughs> um, it's too bad about the technical issues. I had a chance to demo it. I was just a passenger. So that's only gives you a tiny bit of insight, um, during CES. But I will say the one thing that I've always liked about that system gets back to that collaborative sort of agreement between the driver and the system. And it's, highlights what I dislike the most about the disengagement process of Tesla autopilot and other systems, by the way, uh, including lucids. It's really jarring when it's disengaged in some of these other systems. And what I really liked about comma and some other systems out there is you can complete a movement, you can take over, but it's, you know, it's still engaged and it's not this abrupt, you know, movement within the lane, which I think can be confusing to other drivers. Um, If you aren't prepared as a driver, it can be dangerous. Um, And that I really kind of salute them and other companies that have figured out that that is important. Um, And I'm curious to see if like the Teslas of the world will ever take that approach or if they'll continue to do this sort of abrupt disengagement. Question for you, Kelly. Earlier you said you deliberately did not include um, any form of semi-automated lane change feature in your roundup. Is that because of the clear superiority, I think, of this uh, from a safety standpoint, of a collaborative lane change over a semi-automated lane change? Um, so the easiest answer is because, again, we haven't really changed much about our methodology and metrics um, we are trying to make this kind of like a, a, a you know, information for consumers to understand the market um, of these two features. So, you know, when we're talking about adding features, that's that's the, the most basic answer is we just weren't looking at it. Um, when it comes to assisted or, or automatic um, without acknowledgement type of lane changes, there are definitely some concerns there. Um you know, more and more vehicles are coming equipped with it and they all kind of have their different strategies and implementation of doing so. Um, You know, that's definitely a higher risk type of maneuver and scenario, Um, you know, higher risk of collision type of stuff. And so, uh, you know, that probably warrants its own special evaluation and and set of recommendations. Do you have a term? So if, if systems fork at whether they are collaborative or not, do, what is your term for non-collaborative? Just non-collaborative? I guess if there were to be a term, I would call it non-collaborative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever run into a case where I've had to specifically call that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just that simple. 
There is, uh, and I have never seen anyone really try to align these concepts. I'm going to think about it uh, because of your report. I've been thinking about it. You know, in aviation, you have parallel versus serial automation, and collaborative is does not quite aligned philosophically with parallel automated systems. And yet there's probably like a three-dimensional chart one can make at one axis. You have one axis, you have how much parallel automation there is another, how much serial automation is. And the third would be UI collaborative or not, or, and that's a hybrid of functionality in UI. Um, and this again, like credit to you, this is the first report, a big one that like gets moves the ball forward in thinking about these systems. Tell us about the results. All right. So a big headline, uh, Tesla falls to the middle of the pack, I think is the one that was shared most widely for, for these uh, results. And, you know, that largely is because they haven't done a whole lot of um, changes or improvements to their autopilot. Now, again, I'm just going to say it one more time for the people in the back. We are talking about, lane centering and adaptive cruise control. We're not talking about beta and all this other stuff, right? For those two features, they're, you know, pretty similar to where they were while the rest of the market has kind of stepped up their game. So if you were to actually go back and look at, you know, the historic scores over the past, you know, two years and four years ago, um, Tesla's score largely remains the same while really everyone else kind of starts to move up. It seems like there's a... um... Basically, the presence of a driver monitoring system and collaborative steering, that it seems like the philosophy of this give those two things overwhelming weight. And therefore, the rankings overwhelmingly favor that. Absolutely. So we are in the business of safety, but also, you know, convenience and, and fun factor too. We're not just a safety organization. We like when people enjoy their cars and are satisfied with them. Uh, but But really, you know, safety first. And not only that, but Consumer Reports plays a really vital and important role in the market for ensuring that products that go to market are safe. And, you know, kind of using the term that I used uh, a minute ago about this foreseeable misuse, right? Manufacturers are designing these systems where the vehicles are highly capable at keeping the car in the center of the lane and, and doing a pretty good job at moderating the speed, Right. In that situation, it's really easy for human beings to get bored and want to do something else. And if you don't have an adequate safeguard in place, then essentially you're putting out a product into the world that has foreseeable safety issues. And we don't think that's safe. We don't think that's a good idea. And so it's the responsibility of the manufacturers to also put out with these systems a mechanism to ensure that the driver is, again, minimally awake, <laughs> generally looking-ish towards-ish the forward roadway-ish, right? Like we're not even saying you have to look here for X number of seconds. You have to scan your surroundings. We're saying put out a minimum mechanism to safeguard drivers for this product that you've also put out into the market. So, so you, you, this is, I think it's such an important point because I think, right. So it looks like what sort of generally what you're doing is, is that really, you know, Tesla has gone out and created this market. Right. And, and again, I, what I love about this, you're meeting people where they are, right. By saying, look, these are, this is a market segment. It's a bunch of other people trying to create similar systems to autopilot. And I think to me, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff about, you know, how people architect these systems and implement them and, and things like that. But to me, like one of the most important and like pernicious things that's going on around this this emerging market is that it's been marketed as purely as a safety thing it's and and literally tesla goes out there and they say this system keeps you safer this system is safer than humans and therefore safer than you and what you're saying here is something very different which is that these systems can enhance safety but they can also not and i think you know this raises a lot of interesting questions about what is this for Right. And for me, I think, you know, if you think about this as a market that Tesla's created, it was created because Tesla wanted to create the impression that they're a player in this technology space. But I think as consumers, you know, how, how should we be thinking about this safety piece? Because on the one hand, it's being marketed to us as this will make you safe. On the other hand, you're saying, well, some, some of these maybe do better jobs than, than others of, of really ensuring that, that there are safety benefits. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You know, 
they often get touted as safety features. And, um, you know, I also agree that there is the potential for these to be safety features, right? If they're keeping you in your lane, you're not going to have lane departure type of collisions. If they're, you know, giving you a, a, you know, bigger headway, then you're not going to have these rear end type of collisions, right? So there's the potential for them. But conversely, they're also, you know, if they don't have these adequate safeguards in place, they may be introducing a new anti-safety thing, right? Where they are saying, well, they do so well that now you have this extra time to get bored and do X, Y, Z. So, you know, the potential for safety is absolutely there, but where is the balance between the added new risk and the potential for safety, right? So, and everyone, um, everyone's still figuring that out, right? Talk, talk about your, the work that you all um, uh, do with IHS in this area, because I know you all are collaborating on on sort of trying to understand like what are the the actual sort of touch points where you know we can start to delineate from like this is what makes a system safer and this is what makes them less safe. Yeah, so we we rely on heavily and work with IHS in terms of real world crash data, right? So there are systems out there safety systems, automatic emergency braking that have proven safety benefits, right? They reduce um, certain types of collisions by 50%. That's massive. And then when it comes down to some of these other features, it gets a little bit murkier in terms of, um, and, and I think this goes back to Tesla's claims about the safety stuff, is a lot of these vehicles that are equipped with lane centering and adaptive cruise control that can be on simultaneously. They're also equipped with automatic emergency braking, blind spot warning, you know, forward click, all these things, right? And so when you actually look at the data of uh, how much improved safety or reduction in, in uh, crashes and, and injury fatalities, uh, most of that's contributed to the safety features that are already equipped on the vehicle. And you don't get much of a difference for these additional, um, what we call convenience features. Now, now I do want to say, though, convenience features aren't bad either, right? We're in the market for people liking their cars and having fun and being satisfied. So these can also reduce stress. They can make driving easier, things like that. So we're not anti these features by any means. We're just saying manufacturers have a responsibility to put out safe products. And so please do. Um, It's interesting because um, at CES, but also in the last probably year, but I really heard it a lot more. Um, there is automakers that previously may have used the term safety and convenience interchangeably (laughs) um, are maybe because they're understanding future liability issues. They're not using safety safety anymore. So they're talking about as a convenience feature. Um, And I find that kind of an interesting shift. Not every automaker is doing that, of course. I'm wondering if you've seen the same thing. Are automakers kind of waking up to that fact? And either if they are going to use safety, they're very clear about it, or they're just not using that term at all and kind of talking about these as convenience. Yeah, actually, I've never really thought about it, but I definitely agree with you that I've seen that trend, uh, the move away from using safety to classify some of these, you know, convenience features. Um, And frankly, it's probably due to the fact that there is no supporting data right? We just don't have the data to make that claim anymore. And so, you know, I don't know if they're waking up to it or just, you know, being cautious about, you know, you know, we're in Sue happy uh, USA. So maybe it's that, maybe it's a combination of a lot of things, but I have also seen that. Um, and I think it's, it's a good move to not overpromise things like that. I should note with one exception though, there is one <laughs> company that it's continues to use this as, as, as a safety metric and, and talks about it to the point where, those that warn about it are actually causing like are you know, journalists who talk about, and I'm talking about Tesla, of course, um, you know, it's that, that whole safety issue has been pushed to such a point that even writing about issues with autopilot, we are killing people. Right. I mean, that it's, it's been actually flipped on its head completely. So they seem very committed. The company seems still very committed talking about this as, a safety feature as a selling point. One, one actually a little piece of historical trivia here is that, you know, when they, they actually didn't start calling uh, adaptive cruise control and, and, and lane keep assist 
a safety feature until after the Josh Brown death. Pr- prior to that, there had been autopilot safety features, which every car had, which were like AEB and FCW, uh, automated emergency braking, forward collision warning, things like that. And then there were convenience features. There was autopilot convenience features. When the system first came out, that's how it was marketed as a convenient feature. And what, what, what we now all call autopilot was originally sold as a convenience feature. Tesla started to change their language around that after the first reported death. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, but unfortunately, you know, this is a situation where, you know, first movers have this ability to kind of start the, the conversation in a certain way. And that's kind of what we're dealing with here, Kelly, right? Is that is that they sort of went out and started this conversation and said, you know, you know, hey, like this is a safety thing. This is an automated driving thing. This is, you know, all this stuff. And and the rest of us have kind of been having to like deal with the the, the fallout of that ever since, right? Well, if I may, the 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 linguistic trick that Tesla's played about autopilot safety or quote unquote safety is by grouping uh, cruise control into the autopilot suite. They claim that auto the umbrella covers LCAS and, and ACC and uh, AEB. And therefore they are, gr- they are playing uh, games with the language because, and this is what the consumer reports report does. It just, just, disintermediates the AEB safety features, which are clear benefits from the stuff which is not clear. And that's why I like the report so much. Right. Yeah. That gets right back to what I was saying is those have data, right. To back them up all day is, is those are proven safety benefits and, and we're just missing the actual proven real world crash incident data uh, for these extra features. So I think the grouping is is part of it. But also, um, Ed, to get back to your point is, I think there still is the potential for these to be safety features, even if we haven't seen the data, like if the data doesn't exist yet, like it could, um, you know, if they're, if they're implemented correctly. And, you know, that's the idea is, again, you know, if we're, if these have the potential to mitigate or reduce or avoid these types of collisions. It's really easy to sell, whether it's the regulators or whoever, on the idea of this could mitigate or avoid the this many crashes and have this X dollar economic you know value or reduction or whatever you know type of thing. And so I think that's often part of the conversation, but we're just really missing the data at this point in time. Yeah question kelly i do have maybe an issue with something that's in the report but i'll let you explain it maybe i don't (laughs) all right Um, i'm ready all right there so many years ago i uh drove a porsche which had an inno drive system which is their brand for their upgrade suite and it allowed (laughs) it allowed the, the driver to have um lane keeping assistance active with cruise control off in other words, the driver could – the car would steer, but – and there was a torque sensor, maybe capacitive touch sensor as well, but the driver could could modulate speed. Now, I did not think that was this good, and I didn't drive it enough to, to, to be sure. I thought it might potentially be unsafe in untrained hands. You say – you talk about the disassociation of LCAS and speed control. Talk about your methodology and philosophy on that. Yes. So there's uh, actually quite a few things that go into this. So first and foremost is just setting the stage for driver understanding and expectation. So if you can have each of those features that have their own controls and can work completely independent of the other. So you have your lane centering on and you have no adaptive or even regular cruise control on. The driver can get a feel for experience, understand that feature. Same goes for adaptive cruise control without any steering intervention, right? And then if you have them both on simultaneously, you have one plus one equals two. Now, in terms of most of the systems other than the Hyundai and Honda brands, um, you have to first have adaptive cruise control on and then you can have the lane centering but you cannot experience lane centering without adaptive cruise control. So in a way it becomes the one plus, I don't know exactly if this is one or 1.5 or what is this, right? Cause I don't know what it is on its own. It kind of becomes more of a like three, like greater than the sum of its parts, right? Because now it's a system and I can't have them independent of each other. So, so first and foremost, easiest thing is just driver understanding, education, mental model, role, responsibility of the driver. That's one. 
And uh, two is also because most of those systems that you have to first have adaptive cruise control on, and then you can have this on, have so many complex behind the scenes menu weird settings. And if there's not a separate control, then if you automatically turn on adaptive cruise control, and in some setting you have it to have lane centering, then it does this thing, but you thought that, you know, your your spouse drove it last time and you thought it was on lane keeping and now it's doing something unexpected. And it just creates kind of this confusion uh, of, you know, what's going on. Um, so, so really that I'd say those are the two biggest, biggest pieces of it. Also, it's not weird. It's not weird. Actually, (laughs) after you drive, uh, some people are like, why would you ever want that? And if you actually get some seat time in it, again, the Hyundai and Honda brands both do this where you can have lane centering without any adaptive cruise control. Um, it's, it, it turns out to not be weird, especially if they do it well. Um, the lane centering component, right? So if it feels seamless, if it's so collaborative that like you don't even know it's on, but it's still helping you out. And if you avoid a pothole and it's just drifting you back towards the center of the lane, right? So if it's completely non-intrusive, it just is natural and very pleasant. Um, I'm glad you brought up when you were talking about the potential of the confusion that can happen when understanding like what is on when, and I've encountered that multiple times in, in the vehicles that I've been in. And, you know, it's super distracting because I, I actually know what I'm doing when I'm testing things out. And even I, and I'm sure you probably encountered this too. It's like, when is something on or not? Um, did I hit it twice? How is it communicated? When you looked at all the systems, what do you think would be like the model that you would like other automakers to follow in terms of how it is presented either on the steer on the steering wheel communicated maybe on the instrument panel you know like where the digital cluster instrument panel is or visually on the steering wheel and also with sounds like what has been the best combination or gets close to what you would like to see in other vehicles uh that's a great question and i'm actually going to go a little bit back to alex's uh flight and, and cockpit uh you know, mental model here. So when we think of actual autopilot, you know, the real one in the, in the planes, in the air, pilots aren't just like, okay, push a button. Now it's on. I'm going to take a nap or do whatever, right? What's going on in the cockpit is they push a button and turn it on. And then they are absorbing and monitoring all of this. We've all seen pictures of cockpits. They're like crazy amount of information, right? There's all of these different gauges and displays telling them information about what's going on in the environment as well as why the plane is doing what it's doing, right? And the pilot can then allocate their resources and attention to the areas where, oh, this seems a little off, or hey, this should be doing something and it's not. And they can strategically allocate those resources in collaboration as a teammate with the system, right? So they can help each other. Now, when we put it into cars, the worst thing that you can do is push a button and then black box of mystery, right? okay, it's doing something. I don't know what it's doing. I don't know why it's doing it. I don't know what it percent perceives and senses in the environment, if that's correct, if it's not what it doesn't see, right? There's no collaboration. And so the display is actually really, really important in terms of giving drivers, you know, not too much that they're overwhelmed, but I'd say adequate and sufficient, uh, minimal information about what the system is doing to determine why it did something or didn't do something um, to determine if it doesn't sense something so that you can be on the lookout for it to correct if it goes off course, things like that. And so, you know, I'm going to say it, Tesla was one of the first ones to really kind of have this type of, you know, detailed bird's eye view of the ego car, you know, the car you're in information about what it sees in the environment, including if it's a solid line, a dash line, if it sees that car, even if it thinks it's a trash can, whatever, it sees something over there. Um, And also, oh, it doesn't see something. So I'm going to, you know, look there. Um, And so that really is uh, what I like to say, you can't keep the driver in the loop if the driver was never in the loop, right? You got to give the driver enough information to get into the loop before you can keep them there. So if you're not giving them any information, then it's just a, quite frankly, a little crazy to ask them to stay in the loop when 
they're just completely blind. So, so as we uh, sort of start to wind down this conversation, I want to ask sort of where this is all going because I think uh-huh. you've all. <laughs> <laughs> save, right, it for, right. save it for karaoke, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, because I, look, I mean, I think, I think, you know, what the work that you're all doing, I mean, the way you've explained this and the way you've set this, this system up and, 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 um, this evaluation rubric and, and just the work that the CR is doing with IHS is just really, I think so important to, to kind of take this wild west and, and to start to make some, bring some real like facts and, and, and just have there be more to it than marketing. Facts. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Data. So, so, but, but like one of the challenges is that, and, 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 you know, you've, you've categorized this ADA, you know, category, I think in a really helpful way because it, it meets people where they are. Now we have this new factor coming in with level three systems, right? And, and so like Mercedes just, you know, was touting the approval by Nevada or whatever. And, and, and so, so we got another wrinkle. We got another layer, layer of complexity to add on this. As you think about not just that level three piece, but in general, sort of your work and, and sort of trying to bring some, being the sheriff of, of driver assistance, Bill, um, how do you see that job changing o- over time and, and your work sort of evolving to, to meet these sort of new challenges? I, I think that the um, you know safeguards are first and, and forefront of the conversation and will continue to be even more so with these level three, right? If it comes down to we're allowing you to take your hands off the wheel, you know, are you going to be liable for then what what happens next, basically, right? So um, the hands-free component becomes essentially an additional thing that we're saying, you better safeguard the driver, provide a mechanism to ensure that if you're asking them to do something, they are ready and able to do that. Um, and not just kind of letting them, you know, basically be set up to fail. Right. And, and honestly, a lot of this really, and I know I get a lot of hate as well from the, from the, uh, fanboy community, but really we're asking the automakers to safeguard the drivers, the owners of these vehicles, right. To not set them up to fail. We're not, we're not anti all of this technology. We're saying you're putting something out there that clearly has some benefit, whether it's convenience, you know, less stress, you know, whatever it is, there's some sort of a benefit, but don't set them up to fail and make it so that the headline that comes out is, well, the driver was just being stupid, right? Like that's not fair. It should be, well, okay, you have, you put a system out there that kind of allowed and enabled perhaps the driver to do something stupid, hey, don't do that. Like put in a safeguard to protect them, please. <laughs> Maybe even induce them to, right? With your market, because it's not just that there's the system design and then there's the marketing as well. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Right. Well, especially with the collaboration, right? Like if there's no collaborative driving, it's essentially, you know, indicating I got this. Don't worry, sit back, right? And so, yeah, it all comes down to design, implementation and and we're not anti this. We are pro uh, not having the driver get called out for doing something stupid, even though they may have been enabled to do something stupid. The 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 language around level three. Sorry, just to go on that mm-hmm. thread, just very briefly, Alex. Sorry, it's interesting to me because when we kicked off this conversation, we were talking about what exactly you were talking about. And it was very specific and defined, and yet before we even get to level three, there was all these other things that um, aren't in that active assistance system. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I don't even think we've really figured out that. And now we're already introducing level three. And um, with Mercedes, um, I spent some time talking to them and it was really complicated because I was trying to get down to why it was that they were talking about um, being able to um, release these systems in certain states when there's technically no federal guidelines. And, and when they broke it down for me, I realized that, you know, each automaker is going to take very specific and a range of different approaches to this. Some will be a little bit more free flowing. We know at least one company Tesla that does this and others like Mercedes that are incredibly careful and they're talking actually to each DMV. And then they're all using different terminology and the functionality of, quote unquote, level three is varied. So have you already, I mean, it kind of goes back to Ed's question of like, what's to come, but are you already having conversations of like how to fold that into this very first step that you just really are taking and 
Um, or are you going to really more focus on what you are already um, trying to get across to consumers and OEMs now um, and start folding in some of those other features before you even start going down that level three road? Yeah. So I don't know what level three is because I don't know what level two is or two plus. So again, we define everything by this is fe- this feature that does right. X is on or not. Um, and so really, you know, if Mercedes defines level three is, I don't even know, like, do they include, you know, lane change assist? Do they include speed limit assist? Do they include navigation? I don't, I don't even know. Right. So it's in a way kind of counterproductive to say level three in Mercedes versus level three and someone else, we're talking about features, right? Features that are active at the same time <laughs> that do whatever. So we aren't at all headed down the route of assessing level three systems or assessing, you know, whatever. It would be a combination of system of features. Right. Not um, so much yes. assessing. I mean, I'm just talking about the language because you took the step to create language around yep. like, we're not going to talk about level two anymore. We're going to call it this. Yep. And this is what this is. Are you going to, to continue to do that to create, or will you just kind of talk about them as individual features? Um, because there is at some point possibly a convenient way to try to label them, but it also seems incredibly complicated because each automaker defines things incredibly differently. Yeah. So, um, the, the label of active driving assistance was almost forced on us. I would have been way happier to not give the combination of those two features active simultaneously, um, a specific name. Uh, I think it enables this idea of, well, you, these need to be on at the same time. And now it's a thing, whereas these two features aren't a thing, but if they're on, yeah, it just, it just causes confusion to consumers and, and to me, and I'm sure to a lot of other people, we were kind of backed into creating a brand agnostic term name for them just for a uh, word count <laughs> in articles and stuff, right? Instead of saying lane keeping assistance and adaptive cruise control that are active simultaneously, that's a mouthful. Um, and because everyone else has, all the brands essentially have their branded marketing name, right? So it's just a substitute to refer to them in a shortened brand agnostic way. Um, I actually try to, as much as possible, refrain from using that term other than obviously in this report, um, when I have the word count to do so, I will, I will use them at a feature level specifically. So if the question is, um, which I think it is, 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 will you have a a name for level three? Uh, I would really like to avoid doing that. And it would require a lot of work into first establishing and standardizing what individual features make level yeah. three. Um, <laughs> and so that seems like a whole lot of work that ain't no one got time for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unless you're backed in another corner, but you know, yeah. I, I like, and this is something I tell uh, my reporters and tell other reporters in the industry, if they care to listen is let's stop talking about names or branded names. I mean, you can say this is that, you know, I will have reporters write it as, you know, Tesla's branded system yeah. autopilot, but then listing, let's list what it actually does. And what, what does this terminology mean? Because some of them use really creative, like creative word nice salads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, to, to, you know, really, it's like, well, this is just keeping the distance between the vehicle, but maybe it's like, this is very, um, you know, it's seven words that doesn't tell the consumer or the reader really actually what it does. To me, the other hard part about it, and of course, this maybe is where your assessment comes in, is there is, I think, a huge um, misunderstanding that by, let's say, when they were calling it level two or any feature that is somehow a measure of its performance. Um, and and I, I mean, just the regular consumer, they, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Tesla gained so much ground is because they were like, well, my car has this, it's level two or level two plus or whatever it is. Your car doesn't have it. Or they use the branded name, your car doesn't have autopilot. And it's like, well, every modern vehicle today has the combination of this, right? Um I don't even know how, like Alex, what's your opinion on like, how do you even try to assess performance or how do you tell people and communicate the idea that this has nothing to do with performance? I know you have an opinion about it. 
we need another episode to discuss it. So I will not. I will not go into a lengthy discussion here because my questions for Kelly get or move move the conversation towards that discussion. It's really in front of their time. But um, clearly, the the presence of hands on is clearly safer than hands off because um, of the time it would take to a be aware one has to move one's hands to the wheel and b the length of time it takes one to actually do so. And then C, one's judgment in executing corrective action. So you have multiple factors going to why hands-on is better than hands-off, whatever the system does, irrespective of the system itself. Secondly, um, the, in this, the ease of use uh, measurement, and there's different ways to define ease of use, um, the ability to engage and the length of time before the system disengages when something suboptimal is happening would be another measure of performance. Um, the awareness of ODD, like where it was the system should it be used or not, and what happens when you reach the boundary. And, and we'll literally we'll need another episode to discuss all these questions because I know Kelly has done Kelly and perhaps Brian Reimer are um, maybe some of the few people who've really thought about this outside of an OEM and compared the systems. And uh, if you would like to comment on any, anything I just said now or hint at what you would say in a longer episode, I think we'd all love to hear it. Sure. I'll try to hit all those points very briefly, but it sounds like we're going to need another episode. So um, first I'm going to start with, with Kristen's uh, point on like, how do we describe and name this stuff? A uh, shout out to clearing the confusion, uh, an effort that I have been part of since before I ever came to CR. It's my, it's my baby. Um, you know, so there we are trying to, trying to answer that and solve that for consumers. And, and I know Ed, when you were with PAVE, you were a big part of this as well Is uh, let's all talk the same language um, and, and start there. Uh, all right. Now, uh, Alex, I'm back to you here. So we did assess capabilities and performance as one of the five categories in our um, assessment. And so that, that of course matters. And in terms of, of how we do that is, how well does it keep it in the center of the lane? But also knowing that center of the lane isn't always desirable, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of things that go into that. Again, another episode. Um, let's see, where'd you go? Ease of use. Yes, big um, issue here in terms of not just how easy is it to activate and order of controls you have to do to make it go on, uh, but also e ease of the system in engaging, right? Activating itself. What are those parameters for I have to be perfectly centered in the lane and not on a curve and my steering wheel angle can't be more than X degree before it to, you know, catch on and, and you know, whatever, like all of that is again, part of the assessment. Um, and, uh, let's see, you said the unresponsive driver. Yes. How does it, you know, safeguard the driver again, that's safety of, um, if, the vehicle knows that you're not paying attention, like, I don't know, please do something about it instead of just projectile down the roadway. And all right, last one is the ODD. <laughs> I think I got them all. I didn't take notes. Um, you did. Cool. So ODD is also a huge concern. And this goes back to not setting up the driver to fail. Uh, that's not fair. And we are anti that. So if in the owner's manual, there are pages of legalese that don't make a whole lot of sense because they only tell you where not to use it and where to you, not where to use it, then it basically falls on the, the assumptions and interpretation of the driver of, well, okay, I think in this situation, because it's not specific, like that's just too much burden on drivers to understand what the ODD is if you're only telling them what it's not. Um, and again, going back to onus and responsibility on the manufacturers, if you say our system was not designed to work in these scenarios, don't let it turn on or allow the driver to turn it on in those scenarios. You're setting them up to fail, right? That's just playing a, a game of gotcha. Um, if, if the scenario, if the environment is not safe, don't turn it on. It's easy as that. ODD becomes almost moot in terms of, well, if you can enable it, then, I mean, you're going to. So, yeah, it, it falls back on the responsibility of the manufacturers. The uh, I know we're almost out of time, so I'm going to raise one other issue for our next conversation. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I've spoken to a lot of OEMs. I know you have, too, and I've been on calls with you where you were answering questions yeah, behind the scenes. The um, it, it seems like some OEMs have – one or more people who clearly understand the concept of what's the product and others treat this as a list of features 
convenience or safety, whatever, to just tick boxes. And the the companies, has anyone read the Tony Fidel book, the guy who worked, who led the iPod development? He wrote a great book called Build, which is about product theory. And it's clear that a product first uh, or UX first approach to developing systems leads to better systems, whether it's convenience or safety being the end goal. And the, and the missing thing, and you, we talk about it in the show for many years, is a transition monitoring system, a system that or a set of protocols to define best practices in the driver monitoring. Because whatever you do, if you increase the performance of the system, you have of you have to have a correlated, equivalently effective driver monitoring system. And the driver monitoring system has to do two things. People think it's just on or off. It's not. A, it has to measure. And the accuracy of those measurements is the input or the inputs. And then once it's measured something, a head the wrong way, a hand in the wrong place, the eyes go in the wrong direction, a second thing has to happen. And that's the output of the DMS. What does it tell the, all the features to do? Turn on or turn off? And I think that your report is just tip of the iceberg and the first of its kind to actually move towards that discussion. And so my last question is this. Did you gather sufficient data about the differing DMSs in your report to maybe assign some uh, effectiveness of the camera hardware itself, say one vendor of a DMS versus another? My last question. Okay, and I'll talk really fast because there's actually a lot that goes into that behind the scenes. Um, so we did not because we're back with our partners at IHS as well as AAA, actually. Um, it's kind of been a chicken and egg type of a, a, a game we're playing right now is there aren't a lot of DMS, DDMS, direct driver monitoring, camera-based driver monitoring out there on the market. So for it, in order for us to say this one's better than this, we're going to need sample size, right? We need a few of them out there. And so behind the scenes for Consumer Reports, we actually had some working groups, some workshops with manufacturers saying, we want the hardware on the car as soon as possible. What is a realistic time frame? And we're holding them to that. So part of our scoring um, of, of overall score for vehicles that go through our, our test is if you have one of these level two uh, lane centering and adaptive cruise control systems, then you also have to have direct driver monitoring. But that's kind of where it ends is like what I said is awake, generally ish, looking toward the forward ish roadway, right, is, is kind of our bar. And that's in order to get the hardware onto vehicles so that our friends at IHS and AAA are able to then move into saying these are better than others because of X, Y, and Z, and then maybe turn that into some sort of, you know, protocol for you have to be looking here for X number of seconds, you're allowed to look here. It's chicken and egg, like we're just trying to get the hardware on, that's to come with our partners. That was fascinating, Kelly. Thank you so much. I really look forward to hearing more from you again. Um, good stuff, moving the ball forward. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Kelly, for coming on the show. And Ed and Alex, of course, for bringing all of your intelligence and articulation and uh, joie de vivre. Um, but also, uh, thanks to our audience for listening to another episode of the Atonic. Wait, wait, wait. No, one more question. Kelly, what was oh, the best you. party at the Consumer Electronics <laughs> Show this year? Uh, there, there were some good ones out there. But, I mean, I, there was this one I went to that was in – I think it was the penthouse at the Palazzo. And when I went outside, it was like the highest point in Vegas, I think. Like you could see the entire skyline and it was top notch. And I think it was a tonic cast that hosted that one. So, <laughs> and so you, you would, yeah, that was the best you would one. agree <laughs> that anyone who wants to be at the most important party at CES to meet the most interesting people should sponsor such a party. Is that right? <laughs> uh, I, I do not endorse any things like that. But yeah. Yeah. Good effort. Good effort, Alex. Good effort. <laughs> Thank you. She's very professional and honest. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thank you.